You're listening to the Wheel of Time TV podcast with Colin Frazier. Welcome to Randland, everyone. This is our second episode of our second season. This episode marks the first that we will be broadcasting from the Black Tower. So this is Colin, you're Mihail, and I'm joined by Jamie, our Merlin Seat, and Lauren, our Keeper of the Chronicles. Like I said, they have traveled to the Black Tower today for this particular episode, and we're very excited to bring it to you. So, um... It's really dark in here. <laughs> well, you know, we like to keep it a little sinister. Uh, Lauren, is it just me, or is this tea kind of bitter? <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about that. <laughs> it is bitter. Yeah, I don't think the Ashamen know how to make a good cup of tea. <laughs> I haven't had elderberry wine since I was a child. I feel like the mint in that tea should be coming in pretty strong, huh? So yeah, so uh, so a question for you ladies. Which character from the Wheel of Time would you want to be quarantined with and where in the Randland map? I want to say, I've been thinking a lot about uh, Br- Brigitte lately. So I think I'd choose her, and I think I'd choose, honestly, the two rivers, because I think it'd be the most familiar area, and you could really isolate there. Mm-hmm. Well, I would definitely choose Matt. <laughs> 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 um, and I think I would choose uh, Ruidion. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I, I also said Ruidion. Really? Yeah, but I chose a different character from, from Ruidion, uh, Melindra. Oh, what? Dark yeah, I would friend? Quarantine. Absolutely, yeah. Because oh she didn't God. kill him until she had to. Like, I think oh. we could get through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> get she through just the... used him for a good ride and yeah, exactly. turned to the yeah. dark side. Yeah, we're just having fun through quarantine and then get the hell out of there. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, what made you guys choose to quarantine there? Because that's like absolute quarantine. No one's coming there. No one's coming there. <laughs> <laughs> you're safe. Yeah, you're safe. safe. Yeah. <laughs> We got some water now. Okay, we're yeah, good. Yeah, cool. that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Just some usquai and a fire and some sweat tents and, we're good. and Matrim Cawthon. <laughs> Call it a day. Blah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the food might not be great, but I'm just going to pack a lot of jerky and cheese. <laughs> it would smell so good in the sweat tent. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to smell like sex in the sweat tent. Let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> But I would also want to be with Melendra because I'm in the Isle Waste, so I need someone who knows what the hell's going on out there, too. Yeah. <laughs> Jamie's sure. like, no, not a dark sure, friend. <laughs> Moving on, we unfortunately don't have any new Wheel of Time on Prime news. Boo! For the past couple of weeks, but we do have a few castings that we didn't get to in our last episode. So I think we we did briefly discuss um, Aram or Daryl McCormick mm-hmm. as Aram last episode. He's been confirmed as as Aram. Uh, he's an Irish actor. He's a younger a younger dude, but he's got a, a pretty good resume. And he's currently billed for one episode on IMDb, which is the fifth episode, Blood Calls Blood. He's appeared on Vikings, Peaky Blinders, and a few other projects. But this this one I think is a pretty pretty big grab for him um, which is pretty awesome so that's cool like if we know he's in episode five then that is when Perrin and Egwene must visit the Tuathan camp potentially I, I don't know the power of deduction yeah I wonder yeah. about that I mean yes but also I wonder about that which I think we'll get to in a second but yeah so I wanted to point out I, I, I was doing a little research online and I saw that Daryl was actually up for a role in Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, which is pretty cool. Like he was, yeah. I think it's interesting. He didn't get the role, but also J.J. Abrams kind of like spoke out and said, "Like this is a guy to watch." So I'm pretty excited. Really? Yeah. Do we know which role was it? Like we, a big it, one? Or? It didn't say. Yeah, it oh, didn't man. say which role. He was like he had an NDA to like not talk about it. He didn't want to like pin him against John Boyega. <laughs> uh, you could have been John Boyega. You could have been, been, been a Boyega. millionaire by now, but instead you. <laughs> Got to try this Amazon show. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. So the next announcement we've got is for uh, Rain. Yeah. Who is going to be played by Narendra Samra, 
who is um, a British actor. And again, this this role is still currently billed for one episode on IMDb, the same episode, episode five, Blood Calls Blood. This guy's got a, a solid resume as well. He was in, his first feature film was The One. I don't know if you remember the, this movie. It's from 2001 um, with Jet Li. But he's been in EastEnders TV show. Yeah. Casualty, like everyone else. Everyone, everyone. <laughs> um, a show called Ackley Bridge. And he was also in an episode of ER, like back in the day. So, uh, so yeah, this guy's this guy's pretty. What around. a resume! <laughs> this guy's been around. I think we have to like one episode. I'll watch some of Casualty and <laughs> Casualty? talk about it <laughs> and EastEnders. Yeah, we um, might have to. We might have to each watch a different episode. See who dies. Yeah. <laughs> I was really excited when I saw him. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm not familiar with his work. If he was in The One with Jet Li, I think I saw that because I, I do really like Jet Li movies, but yeah. I probably don't. I mean, I don't remember. It was a yeah, long time ago. Totally. Yeah, he looks like what I picture the, the traveling people like to look like. I agree, yeah. I thought it was a good casting for sure. Yeah, he definitely looks like a tinker. He's got the tinker look. He For sure. I think it's like the... The hair. His hair. hair. He's got yeah. wild hair, which I picture most tinkers to have. He also has just a really inviting face. Yeah, you know, true. like they're yeah. very warm people, and so he's got that warm, like come to the campfire, hang out mm-hmm. feel. Yeah, yeah, and uh, give dirty looks to parents, ex <laughs> <laughs> kind of guy. No weapons. But uh, Lauren was right. Everyone's everyone's a tinker. Everyone's you nailed tinker. this prediction this week. It's everyone's true. Everyone's a tinker. I'm so good at that game. It's true. Do you think they're insulted by the name Tinker? Do they ever call them Tinkers to their face? Or do they I'm say- sure they must hear it as they pass through. And I sure. wondered if it was like... I don't think it's a slight. No? No. Okay. Because it's like they're the traveling people and they're the, the Tuatha on. Right, right, But right. mostly they're called tinkers. tinkers. Yeah. I feel like it is... I feel like I remember it being slightly... It's kind of like, demeaning. Yeah, Like demeaning. a tweaker? <laughs> what? <laughs> Like a tweaker? No. I don't know. Tinker, tweaker. They both start with the T. Both have a repeat no. sound. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, okay. So moving on with the Tinkers. Um, our final casting is for Ela, Rain's wife. And this one's going to be played by Maria Kennedy Doyle. Mm-hmm. She's an Irish actress. Um, a pretty pretty big acclaim, I would say. So she's built, She's also built for one episode based on IMDb. And it's a different episode. It's episode wow. six. The Flame of Tarvalon. That's very interesting. Which that's why I was kind of like, I don't know necessarily if, you know, if that's how it's going to play out in terms of Piran and Egwene meeting. You know what I mean? Like when they meet, because they mm-hmm. meet all together in the books. So yeah. Wow. So, yeah. That's really interesting. I'm not sure. And the other, obviously the other two aren't in that episode. So it's weird. Grandma is strayed from the pack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe she's the one who follows Pierre. I don't know, right? I thought it was interesting. Maria and Daryl are both Irish. Yeah. And I know they're working with dialect coaches, but my brain kind of thought, will they give the traveling people a little bit different of an accent? Like maybe mm. it'll lean more that I'd way. I'd like that. I'd like yeah. them to have like a northern lilt, a northern Irish lilt. I wouldn't be surprised if the traveling people had their own kind of mm-hmm. accent or, yeah, lilt. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. That was distinct, yeah, distinct from the rest of the world. So did you guys recognize her when this was announced? Or when I... I know the casting was announced before we knew who she was playing. Like, we knew she was in The Wheel of Time. Right, right. Um, And my fear was that she was Elida. And that was... There was some speculation that Maria Kennedy Doyle was playing Elida, and I didn't like that. Like right. fit, so I was actually really relieved and at the same time happy when they announced that she's Ela, mm-hmm. Relia, and I did recognize her from the Tudors. Wasn't she also an Outlander? Arrived from France, too late for the battle. We've been traveling till near dawn when two dragoons came upon us and <laughs> two sixteen more. She was. So beautiful. Yeah, she's been in Queer as Folk. She's been in The Tudors, The Commitments, Downton Abbey, Dexter, Orphan Black. She was in Queer as Folk? She was in Queer as Folk, yeah. Oh, the British one. The British one. Yeah, I didn't watch the British British one. The one with uh, Littlefinger. Yeah, she was in the British one. She was in Downton Abbey, Dexter, Orphan Black, Outlander, yeah. She's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. 
So it's, I think that's why she was pegged as Elida, because Elida's a bigger role. Mm-hmm. So people assume that because she actually has so much kind of acting clout, that she would be cast in a larger role. Maybe they're going to bulk up the tinkers. Maybe. Bulk them up <laughs> into an, up. Army. <laughs> an army? That's the big twist. Like, make the story bigger. Yeah. Well, they are important in the Wheel of Time. I mean, yeah, when you think about the history that's revealed of the Aeol... Like, they become much more important. I love that secret. That's, like, one of my favorite secrets. And I love that I can talk about it right now. It's just such a huge reverse of, like, what the Tawathawan are and what the Aiel become. Right. Even though they're from the Tawathawan. I won't dwell on this too long. We can revisit it another time. But it does... It is interesting to me that, you know, when Rand reveals the truth about the Aiel's history to all the clans, you know, that's a big moment. And everyone's forgotten except for the clan chiefs um, who go to Ruidion. But for the Tuatha'an, they never have that revelation. And it seems like they've also forgotten their past. Mm. So I'd be curious if they kind of tie up that loose end because Mm. they've sort of, they've lost the song, but they've lost their history too. I don't think they remember why they they don't take up arms and, and right, things right, like right. that. And they their failure, I mean, really, like, they also failed. Right, right. That's interesting. I wonder, like, what? I wonder if they actually do remember. They're just so kind of... Happy to wander? Well, not even that, but just... But they're just meek, and they're, like, they're not interested in necessarily rocking anyone else's boat. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, like, they remember, but, like, why, why share that with anyone? What's the point, you know? Wait, you think they actually know the song? No, they don't know the song. They know, like, their history, like, where they came from. Like, Mm -hmm. their connection to the Aiel. But that's an interesting point, for sure. So, did you guys have any thoughts on, like, the episodic difference between Maria Kennedy Doyle and the other two? It's difficult. I mean, why would they be separated? Right, yeah. That's that's very different. It's Um, really, it's really intriguing, I think. And they're they're consecutive episodes, so the Flame of Tarvalin, like... You know, in the books, I believe that is a chapter from The Great Hunt, mm-hmm. you know, where we meet the Amarlin in uh, Faldara. But we had speculated, you know, in the series, they could just be jumping back and forth between actual Tarvalin and, like, seeing more of the world. Right. Um, so I don't know what's actually going to be going on that episode or why they'd be in different scenes unless, like, where, I don't know, why would she not be with them? Maybe it's like a point of view thing. Like you see it through like Perrin's point of view and then you see it through like Egwene's point of view. Perhaps, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> She's off hunter gathering like <laughs> while all the men sit around the fire doing that watching the Taganza. Taganza, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's an interesting point. It suggests some deviation from the books as far as the the way that yeah. the the Tuathan will be handled. I'm so excited about that to have like the new the new version of the same story. Yeah. So what if, you know, uh Blood Calls Blood is Rain and Aram like finding Perrin and Egwene and meeting up with uh Elias? Like mm-hmm. it could just be like kind of the end of the episode mm-hmm. and the next episode. I don't know why they wouldn't be in it, but maybe it, there's more just like a smaller scene with uh, Ilya. Where they're like back at the kind of twat. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that like, makes sense. Well, that's pretty much all the production news we have. All the tinkers. Yeah, all the tinkers, which is exciting. Yeah. But for this week we're going to be discussing a broader theme. So for this season, we'll be looking at the idea of balance. As Rafe has mentioned, Robert Jordan often focused on the theme of balance throughout the books, and we can see that reflected in in many different ways. So throughout this season, we're going to be kind of coming back to that idea and looking at it from different perspectives and how how the books handle the idea of balance, as well as how the TV show might kind of reflect that or enhance or update that for, for this new audience and new medium. In keeping with that theme, we're looking at the balance of characters in the books today. So there are there are a ton of characters in these books. There are like over 2,700 distinctly named characters in The Wheel of Time. And obviously, like the bigger characters get all the on-screen time. We talk about them all the time. We love them. We want merchandise. We want little pop figures, you know, of them. But 
to really get the fabric of that world and get um, to get into the world of the Wheel of Time, we have tons of other characters that kind of add that fabric and add the texture. So today we're looking at our peripheral characters, the lesser known characters who don't get as much screen time but are still just as awesome and we love them. And so the parameters for this were that they could have no POV chapters or very few, like one or two um, throughout the course of the series. So we don't really get to get inside of their heads and understand what makes them work or um, how they think, but they still attract and inspire us despite that. And we also kind of want to make sure that we, we would like to see in the television show, we'd like to see their arcs kind of undisturbed if possible. Obviously, they're going to have to make some, some changes and maybe merge some, merge some things, but these characters we want to see kind of pristine, if possible. I'll go first. Um, my first pick is Juilin Sandar, who I love. I love Juilin. He's a thief catcher. He's from Tyr. We, we meet him in The Dragon Reborn. Nynaeve and Elaine and Egwene get to Tyr and they're looking for the Black Aja. They kind of employ Juilin to, to help find them. And he kind of sticks with them um, from, the, from that point on. And he's, he appears numerous times throughout the books and in a no, number of arcs. So he's there for the Black Aja. He's there for Valen Luca's Traveling Menagerie. He's there um, in Tanchico and ends up falling in love with Amethyra. So he's got a lot of stuff going on there. But I think his presence in the books opens up comedic opportunities, specifically with Tom. There's kind of like they have like this buddy mm-hmm. relationship that kind of is a foil I think, to the ladies' relationship as we go through those arcs, yeah, which I think is interesting. As a character, it gives Robert Jordan a way of introducing other means of gathering information, or even just this character who's he's basically a vigilante, right? Like, he, And he, he goes and he's, he decides that something's right or wrong, or someone's paying him to decide what's right or wrong, and he goes and enacts that. I feel like, um, you know, Nynaeve and Elaine, who I think uh, Juilin and Tom travel with the, mm-hmm. the most... Like the the women got really lucky, but that Juilin wasn't more like Mac. It wasn't just yeah. like screw you guys. I've done <laughs> enough. Like <laughs> I mean, I know he. You know he betrays them. Right. In, right. Is it in tear? Yeah. He be- in tear. Yeah. But he's but unknowingly he's compelled. He was like, yeah, he was he's compelled. Basically mind raped. Yeah. And they punish him as if he just like was weak and totally. was like, oh here they're that way. Yeah. And then he helps Matt to rescue them. And of just like they're ungrateful for Matt rescuing them, they're ungrateful for him. Yeah. But I like him because he is kind of um, more of an everyman. I mean, obviously, he has very specific skill set and he's good at that. But he kind of just rolls with things um, yeah. and is pretty like even tempered, which definitely when we're following Nynaeve and Elaine, they get really annoying. So it's like, yeah. thank God we have Juilin and Tom. <laughs> to kind of mitigate those things. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think one of the things I really like about him is because he, he kind of skirts that line between not necessarily good and bad, but like criminal and vigilante. Like, you know what I mean? He's like right on that edge. Mm-hmm. He never loses his moral compass. You know, he never crosses the line, which I, which I really like. Yeah. He plays for his own team. He doesn't yeah. choose a team. He's like, I'm a, I'm about my team. Yeah. I appreciate that. One thing you didn't mention mm-hmm. is his affair with, or he falls in love with Amethera. The, the Panarch of Tanchico. Mm-hmm. I've seen some fan art. There's not a lot of art for him, you know, because he's a tertiary ca- or secondary character. But I think he's pretty hot. Like, <laughs> just... Oh, for yeah, sure he's hot. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, I feel like he's, like, like hot, but, like, a little grubby, you know? Like, right. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, yeah, 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 totally. He's got a little sweat and dirt in the corners. Yeah. Rough hands. <laughs> Rough hands. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, so that's my first one. Juilin's my first one. Well, since we're talking about a thief catcher, I have a thief taker, Hiran. I think he's a fan favorite. I I think people really love Hiran. I wrote, Shinarn Sniffer with a heart of gold, the thief taker with a sword breaker. (laughs) Because I think that is memorable. I mean, the sword breaker, when I read it, I definitely had to look it up. It kind of looks like a sword, but with um, like notches, notches cut out so it can, yeah. you know, capture the sword and kind of push it away. Yeah. But he has a couple of important arcs. Obviously, he's known for his unique ability to smell and track violence. When they're hunting the horn, that also helps Perrin to track the horn of Valir without revealing his 
wolf right. talent. Right, right. But what I like in The Great Hunt is he's the first person who sort of triggers Rand to accept a leadership role, yeah. however reluctantly. Um, so when they go through the portal stone, Huron, Rand, and Loyal, um, and like he keeps calling Rand my lord, my lord. And Rand up to this point has been harassed relentlessly by Matt and Perrin for his like fancy new clothes that Moraine and, and Lon forced on him. Yeah. Um, and he's like really resentful, but he realizes, you know, this guy is he needs a leader, like he needs a superior. Right. And right. there's someone in the group needs to provide some comfort and direction for them to get out of this situation. So mm-hmm. Like, Rand starts to get used to it. At a certain point, Huron's sort of, like, obsequiousness gets a little uncomfortable. And you're like, I, I don't know, like, uh, he sucks up to Rand too much. But it says, uh, Huron kept his humor through the morning, murmuring, as well we don't mean to stay, then chuckling until Rand felt like telling him to be quiet. So, like, Rand made a joke, like, trying to keep everyone's spirits up. But he, I think he's a very lovable character. Yeah. I mean, he's, like, fiercely loyal to Rand. And I think the most memorable part to me is in uh, Gathering Storm, when we see Huron again, he's sent by the Borderland army to sort of be a emissary to Rand, and Rand is like really mean to him. <laughs> he oh, like yeah. flips him upside down and interrogates him, and he's super cruel. And uh, Huron actually smells something on Rand that's like worse than violence, mm-hmm. and it's it's like the residue of like balefire, basically. But Rand has changed, and it, it alarms Huron, and Rand just doesn't give a shit. And like this was like one of two scenes where I was like, Rand just like crossed the line, like when he is mean to Huron and when he's mean to Tam. I'm like, no, you yeah. went too far, Rand. Yeah, true. I think that's a good point about him being kind of the catalyst for Rand accepting, like, and I think that's a large part of the Great Hunt. It starts with Rand, he's like, he has sword practice with, with Lan, mm-hmm. and Lan gives him that, like, duty is heavier, heavier than a mountain, right? And I feel like it's Rand accepting that, like, it's accepting that duty, that responsibility, and it starts with that one that one person who keeps calling him Lord, you know? So that's a yeah. good point. Also worth pointing out that Huron almost dies, like, protecting the horn in Kyrian, just so... Rand can go on like a little walkabout. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, Lauren, who you got? I'm going to move from uh, one Shinar to another. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to start with Uno. All right. I just, I do really love this character. I love how he's always cussing, but then he's always kind of watching himself around the ladies and how he just goes in search of the Horn of Valor. I usually just like mainly like his language throughout the book. He does. He is responsible for introducing us to curses in the yeah. wheel of time. And I, I'd agree. Like when he plays off of Elaine, you know, she's always very offended by foul language when she's around Uno and Matt. But then she picks up some of it herself. So yeah, absolutely. I think Uno's responsible for that. Oh, wait, you know what's something that's funny is when Brigitte mentions how attractive he is after he gets the eye patch. (laughs) Oh my god, so good. Because, you know, uh, Uno's kind of like the Jane Eyre of the novels that they keep reiterating how unattractive he is. And so Brigitte's like, yeah, jump his bones. (laughs) They're all like, what? Yeah. 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 It's funny. Awkward taste of men. He's a good character. Um, and he, he's, it's cool that he kind of like comes back. Cause I think he's one of those characters you don't, he comes back. Like, it's kind of like a surprise when you see him again. Right. And it's really fun. I think to see the Shinarans um, return when the ladies are on that journey, he has that comedic aspect, like his, his swearing. He's definitely comedic relief. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's really nice. It's fun. So my next one is Sulin. Ooh, yes. yes. I love and I think it's in my current, my latest or current reread that I really started to really fall in love with this character. She's really wonderful. We meet her first in the in Fires of Heaven in Ruidian. And I think what's what enamors me to her is like her ferocity, like the obvious ferocity of being a maiden of the spear. But it's her connection to Rand, I think, that really that really enamors her to me is that she sees him um, as a first brother. And so we meet her in, in Ruidian. She's appointed as the roof mistress 
of the Roof of the Maidens in Radiant, but she gives that up to lead the Maidens across the Dragon Wall. And her dedication is just absolute, and, and you see it time and time again. I wanted to read a passage uh, about her. So this is, um, this is at the end of, near the end of The Lord of Chaos. And this is um, after they find out that Rand has been kidnapped. So this is from Piran's perspective. Suddenly, Piran saw what Berylaine had dropped. The blanket had fallen away to reveal Rand's sword and the belt with the dragon buckle. Would Rand have left that behind? Piran liked to think things through. When you were hasty, you could hurt people without meaning to. But that sword lying there was like a strike of lightning. Fast was foolish and sloppy in forge work, but Piran's hackles rose, and a growl rumbled deep in his throat. They have taken him, Sulin wailed suddenly, shockingly. Head thrown back, eyes squeezed shut, she moaned at the ceiling, and the sound of her voice was enough to make Piran shiver. The Aes Sedai have taken my first brother. Her cheeks glistened with tears. Be calm, good woman, Berlaine said firmly. Go into the next room and be calm. To Piran and Dobrain, she added, we cannot allow her to spread word. You do not recognize me, Sulin broke in savagely, wearing this dress and with my, gro- my hair grown longer. Speak of me again as though I'm not here, and I will give you what I hear Ruark gave you in the Stone of Tear, and should have sense. Piran exchanged confused glances with Dobrain and Loyal, even with Fayil before her eyes jerked away. Berylaine, on the other hand, went pale and crimson by turns. Her scent was pure, mortification, shriveled, and small. Striding to the door, Sulin had flung it open before anyone could move. Dobrain at least started to, but a yellow-haired young maiden passing by saw her and grinned in amusement. Wipe your face, Luane, Sulin snapped. Her hands seemed to be moving, hidden from the room by her body. Luane's grin was indeed wiped away. Tell Nandera she must come here at once, and Ruark, and bring me Caden's sore, and scissors to cut my hair properly. Run, woman! Are you far to as my or Shine Matal? The yellow-haired maiden darted away, and Sulin turned back to the room with a satisfied nod, slamming the door. And I think here we see like the ferocity with which Sulin clings to Rand. And I think it's, it's, it's the first time, I think, aside from Tam, that we see someone extend familial love to Rand. It's something more than just falling in love with him because he's pretty or because he has power or whatever. Like, she yeah. actually loves him, you know? Um, and she cares about him. And she's also, I think, you know, Avienda is sent to kind of guide Rand and teach him idle ways. If you think about it as kind of like a class, Avienda is the lecture, but Sulin is kind of like the practical. She's the laboratory where Loranda learns a lot, a lot of things from her because he engages with her and he does things wrong. He fucks up mm-hmm. and she and she chides him, but she still loves him, you know, um, and I think we see that with her. I, I, I love her character. I think she's great. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I forgot about that. Like her ferocious care for Rand. Yeah. And you're right, he doesn't have a lot of people. And it's like it's a, and it's like a sisterly love. Yeah. As you stated, yeah. Because he doesn't have a lot of people around him who care in that yeah. way, really. Most people he's right do want to use him or lead him this way and that way. And the maidens are kind of the only people who just have his back. Yeah, she's got his back. And she knows she knows everything that he's he's brought. Like she knows now the history of her people. And she knows what he's going to do, and she still loves him, you know? I think at Jordan Con, you should be Sulin in cosplay <laughs> as, like, <laughs> Rand's maid. It was Rand's maid. I love that, I love that line. <laughs> it's so funny. Sulin's wetlander dress. Oh, my great. God. <laughs> so good. That whole thing was hilarious. Yeah, it's really funny. <laughs> All right, so who you got, Jamie? Seban Balwer. Obviously, we know him as being a spy for the White Cloaks. Mm-hmm. So he was formerly Pedro Nile's secretary in public and secretly the spy master. He's also known for aiding Morghese's escape from the Shanchan when they attack the White Cloaks in Amador. And it, it's kind of, he's an interesting character because he. He seems more loyal to his job than to any one person. Like, he doesn't necessarily agree with White Cloak politics. Right. But when he later serves Perrin, it does seem like he's more maybe proud to work for Perrin, but more he takes pride in his job and doing it well and being, like, very good as a spy master. And it's also interesting to me that the entire time he's in service to Perrin, the truth about his previous employer is never revealed. Right. Perrin just thinks this guy's 
got a grudge <laughs> against the White Cloaks for right. some reason. He is also interesting because his arc does uh, span the entire series. Mm-hmm. He comes up multiple times. So, you know, first with the White Cloaks, um, then through Morghese's plotline, then serving Perrin. He um, helps figure out what happened to the Shido after Perrin rescues Fael. He figures out that they were scattered by the Forsaken. Um, and then later, he also assists Ran, and he's actually the person who drafts the Dragon Peace documents. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to read a little description. A little stick of a fellow with a pursed mouth called Balwer, who seemed to pay less heed to their surroundings than Magden pretended, Magden being more gaze in disguise. Even so, Perrin thought Balwer saw more than he did. He could not say why precisely, but the few times he had caught the bony little man's scent, he had been reminded of a wolf testing the air. Strangely, there was no fear in Balwer, only quickly suppressed ridges of irritation shot through with the quivery smell of impatience. And they frequently describe his, like, skinny fingers, his bird-like bows, and the dry washing of hands when he's frustrated. Oh, yeah, totally. So he has all these, like, idiosyncrasies. I think every fantasy kind of needs this spy master character but i like that he's a little bit different and his motives are kind of not clear the Mm -hmm. whole time you know yeah i agree so that's baller lauren what you got um i'm gonna go with one of the next ones i chose was hopper Mm -hmm. oh my god yes we love hopper (laughs) uh we love hopper and i know several men who have gotten dogs who relate the most with Perrin. And they all named their dog Hopper. Really? Yes. Interesting. Okay. I know so many dogs named Hopper. I want to make. I want. I want them to be like little, like little tiny dogs named Hopper. <laughs> they are not. Little Yorkies named Hopper. Yeah. <laughs> Is it German Shepherd? They're usually German Shepherds. I know okay. two. Well, I know three dogs named Hopper, and two of them are German Shepherds. So. Hopper's great. He's like Perrin's little guide into the Teleronriad. Mm-hmm. I guess before that, he kind of teaches him to speak with the wolves until the White Cloaks kill him. Which, I know they talk about making his hide into a rug, but do they? I don't remember, honestly, if they do or don't. They don't, right? Ooh, God, I don't yeah, know. I'm not sure. If they actually, like... Like, like yeah, make him a rug? Harvest, yeah, harvest his pelt. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because I know that was, like, a point of contention with Perrin in the book. I think I could really see Rafe writing that as a little insert, yeah. you know? Yeah. Like Hopper made into a rug? Yeah, like well, it shows up later. Yeah, it's like a yeah. rag type thing. Like a decoration? Oh, for sure. Yeah, That's so totally. sad. Or even people just like doing the work after of like skinning the wolf, yeah. something yeah. like very graphic. Yeah. And doesn't need to be pointed out in any way. It's just Yeah, like happens. you don't need to have the dialogue. It just happens and you know. I feel that we're like, I love... The Hopper, what if they skinned him? Like- <laughs> <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but I mean, he's until he run Riyadh, like the majority of the series, so. Right, 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 right. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's just, happy. He is, and he flies until I run Riyadh. Yeah, he gets to do what he always wanted to do. Yeah. I think my favorite, one of my favorite parts in the whole series is when Perrin makes his hammer um, mm-hmm. and names it after, for Hopper. Mm-hmm. Um that's one of your favorite parts in the whole series? Yeah, I love this oh part. Oh, my gosh. And he names it, oh, I can never... Collins, please say it for me. I can't remember it. It's, it's, it's like, supposed to be like Mjolnir, it's like but it's Thor's not. hammer. It's yeah, like exactly. It's like my learner. It means to soar. Yeah. I'm going to find a, a sound bite online from some fan and just edit <laughs> that in. Um, <laughs> please. But it means to soar, which is like Hopper says, yeah. here I can soar like the eagle. Yeah. Because that's what that's why he's called Hopper, because he would hop. Yeah, and he's like, in Ranland, I'm a rug, so. <laughs> <laughs> but in Teleron Riyadh, I'm an eagle, okay. <laughs> also, tragically, Slayer does finish him forever. Oh, I know. Yeah, what a true. terrible end. Slayer's one of my favorite villains. When we get to a villain episode. A dream spike killed by a dream spike. It's a good, yeah, that's a good villain. It's true. Yeah. And an, an interesting, like, a really interesting villain that, like, the kind of, like, the minutia of that character doesn't really get revealed until later, I feel. like Yeah. It's and really intriguing. I don't want to dig into it here, but yeah. I definitely when we get to villain time, I, he's one of the most... Slayer, Slayer's going to be a hot topic. 
we get the most information about him. We get a POV um, that's not just like a plotting scene between Forsaken wobbling <laughs> in like some throne room. We get yeah. like an actual life experience flashback sort of. But anyways, won't hold things up. It's about Hopper. We love him. We love Hopper. Everyone loves Hopper. Except Dane Bornhold. <laughs> Shout right. out to Dane Bornhold on Twitter. But even Dane does because Dane made him into a rug. <laughs> Dane funny. secretly like Secret. cuddles with it yeah. at night. Like rubs naked on his wolf rug. <laughs> Hopper. <laughs> Ew. Can we All see right. that Dane Bornhold scene? <laughs> No. Sexy fur rug scene in front of a fireplace. <laughs> These are dark friend fantasies. All right. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of dark friend fantasies, like my next character, which maybe, I don't know, maybe this is a strange one, but I I don't know. My next character is Asmodian. I love Asmodian. Asmodian is one of my favorite characters in the entire series. He's your favorite character. You said yeah. if you could be any character, you'd be Asmodian. It's true. It's true. I love Asmodian. And I put him in here like because I have a fear that they might pare down the Forsaken. I don't know why, but I feel like that could happen. But he's too important. I agree. I agree. Do you think that the Forsaken would be like more strongly introduced in like a second season with flashbacks to the first season? I don't know. They could do that in a number of ways. Like they could seed them without us realizing who they are in the first season, and then reveal who they are in the next season. Or could they could just add them in? I don't. I don't know. I think it would be too obvious. <laughs> Except for Lawnfear, they could hide Lawnfear. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Celine. <laughs> I don't know how much territory they'll they'll cover, but in Eye of the World, you know, uh, the Forsaken aren't all loose yet. Right. Right. You know, there's an order to which they're released. Yeah, um, totally. But an Asmodian is even later. Yeah, he's later. The first two were Agonor and Balthamel, because they were the closest. Yeah. And then Lanfear, and then right. there's a bunch, but I think Asmodian, we, well, and obviously Ishmael's first. Right, right, right. But yeah, I think you're right. He is very important. And that's why I have the hope, is because he has a very specific, like, plot-driven duty. And he has, he has a pretty short arc, but I do have this fear that they're going to kind of pare down the forsaken it's not it's not really grounded anything i don't want to put that out there that like i've read something that said that but yeah I, I i really i really like him and the reason i like him is because i like this idea of someone loving art so much that they would do anything for it i think that's a really intriguing thing and i think he's also like probably the least threatening of the forsaken like you know what i mean like i doubt parents are like He's the most approachable. Yeah, parents aren't scaring their children with Asmodian's name, you know? Like, children are scaring their parents with Asmodian's name. But um, but anyhow, yeah, I, I love Asmodian. And I think that there's an interesting aspect with his introduction in so much as he kind of starts this thing of Rand having to, in a way, play both sides. Like, he do- it starts with Lanfear, but, like, there's a more, perhaps, slightly more intimate relationship between Rand and Asmodian. I love the Rand and Asmodian relationship. I love yeah. how Rand uses him for knowledge. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's really intriguing. He has such a short arc in the series. He's, he's like he's like in like a book and a half, and it's arguable whether or not he actually does change sides, right, or whether or not he's just doing what he has to do because he wants to stay alive. But there's that moment when he he heals Rand. You know, I think that's an, a really intriguing moment because he could have he could have tried to kill him to get some dark friend clout to get his like place back. You know. Yeah. So it's an it's an intriguing thing, I think. Yeah, I agree. And he tries to backpedal and just said, "Well, I've I've thrown my lot in with you, you know. Right, right. That's what all I could do." But I I think he's interesting because he he can be a sympathetic character, mm-hmm. but then when his past is revealed, mm-hmm. it's irredeemable, yeah, you know. Absolutely. But people can be more than one thing. Like he can be yeah both of this at the same time totally but there is some sort of like more hope that he could change yeah you know like they say no one's so long in the shadow that they can't be redeemed yeah two things one i think he should be gay this in the series because Mm -hmm. he does sleep with uh that stupid dark friend uh i forget her name oh right 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 yeah and then uh i think it's entertaining that moraine later reveals that she knew the whole time Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Rand thinks he's so... He's so sneaky. Slick. Yeah. yeah. 
She's like, yeah, I know you, you and that dark friend in the tent. Yeah. She's like, you know, I don't condone it, but I get it. But I think that like also because of that little, that bit of redemption, I think his death, his final death, like hits even, in, it almost has that kind of Game of Thrones-esque kind of like, oh shit, they just killed someone I thought was going to be around for a minute, you know? Yeah. Which is pretty cool. I like that. But anyhow, that's, that's my third one is Asmodian. My third one is Tylee, Tylee Kiergan, mm-hmm. Lieutenant General in the Shanshan Army. Her arcs intersect Perrin, Tuan, Matt, and the last battle. Mm-hmm. So she comes in later when we get to know the Shanshan more, um, but she has a pretty important role. I think we've mentioned before that there is a lack of female generals, female captains. Yeah. And she is, you know, a mature general. She's a badass. And so I really like her. And I like the way um, once Matt starts leading the Shanshan armies, the way they play off of each other, they're a good team. Yeah. So I, I wanted to read one passage because I think, well, I'll reiterate first. So when she crosses paths with Perrin, she helps him rescue Fael and um, attack the Shido. And one just funny scene from that is she's the one who who captures Savannah, mm-hmm. uh, and she spanks her. <laughs> she <laughs> right. smacks her bottom, and that makes Fael really happy. Mm-hmm. But she's sassy, <laughs> like, yeah. in a certain way, like in, yeah, a, yeah, right. in a stern way. Right. But she's also a badass because after she has this interaction with Perrin, she starts thinking for herself and her opinions on the Shanshan's role in the last battle right. changes. Mm-hmm. And she speaks her mind to the Empress. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll read that passage. It's a little bit long. If it pleases the highest daughter, Tylee said, bowing, you are allowed to speak. These last few weeks, I have seen many things that have given me thought, Tylee said. Even before my troops were attacked, I was worried. The wisdom and grace of the highest daughter undoubtedly let her see further than one such as I. But I believe that our conquests so far in this land have been easy compared to what might come. If I may be so bold, I believe that the dragon reborn and those associated with him may make better allies than enemies. It was a bold statement. Tuan leaned forward, lacquered nails clicking on the armrest of her chair. Many of the low blood would be so in awe at meeting one of the Empress's household, much less the highest daughter, that they would not dare speak. Yet this woman offered suggestions? In direct opposition to Tuan's published will? A difficult decision is not always a decision where both sides are equally matched, Tuan, Solutia said suddenly. Perhaps, in this case, a difficult decision is one that is right, but requires an implication of fault as well. Tuan blinked in surprise. Yes, she realized, Solutia is my truth speaker now. So this is just a pivotal moment um, mm-hmm. because, you know, as we know, in the Shantan Empire, you really can't disagree with the Empress. Yeah. Most people are terrified of addressing her directly. Yeah. Uh, and she has immense power. I mean, you know, Tylee is not of the high blood. She's of the low blood. But she's good at what she does, and she's done it for a long time, and it's the last battle, so people just... They're like, say what they need to do. Um, and so Tuan and Seleucia are swayed. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I like her. Cool. That's great. I like that. I like that we get these these characters, um, and especially in the Shanjan, because it's such a, there's an ambivalence about them because their culture in a lot of ways is just so fucked up, right? But you have these characters who are really, really, likable you know and um who, who can who come to recognize that and grapple with that within themselves you know it's really compelling okay my final choice was inktar yes interesting character absolutely he is dark and then he goes light yeah um because he travels through the portal stones and he kind of sees like what life could be and chooses to go to the light yeah but we don't know he's a dark friend for I mean, when do we learn? I don't I mean, even. When do we learn think, that he's a dark friend? I don't think you know until until basically he's about to kill himself, or basically he's about to sacrifice himself. Yeah. If I remember correctly, it's like kind of in that moment when he's about to sacrifice himself that he reveals that he's a dark friend. I yeah. mean, he's the one who lets out Pat and Fane. Yeah. What a dick. What a dick. <laughs> yeah. And he got a bunch of his own. I mean, he's just really naive. He's a yeah. He's a he's a really complex character that you don't realize is that complex until 
until it's too late, right? Until it's like over. Yeah. Yeah, but he's he's a great character, absolutely. And I think it's it's like it's one of the the more compelling arcs, not the more compelling as if, as if there aren't a lot, but it's one of the the pretty cool compelling arcs of the second book is learning, um, is watching, is looking back at the the entirety of that particular novel mm-hmm. and seeing um, Ingtar's journey. It's interesting because Ingtar is literally part of the prophecy. I read right. the quote last week of five to ride uh, fourth and four return, right. and he's the fifth one. He's the fifth one, yeah. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. they could easily cut him, actually. Like, you right. think so? I don't think he has. I mean, he lets go. He, I think he has such an interesting story, though. I mean, someone needs to lead the hunt for the horn from the borderlands. It's true. But they don't have yeah. to make him as complex. He could just he yeah. could just be a Shinaran, you know, that knows Lon. I, so, I Colin, mean, originally I thought this choose three characters. I thought we were choosing three characters that we that we thought they would roll into one in the series. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> she, she called me, and the struggle was real. <laughs> I was like, I don't know which three to put together. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. But I mean. Do you think you could roll together him and Uno? If that was a thing? I know that's not a thing we're not talking about, but... Right, right, right. Like, Uno would just be the leader of the expedition and yeah. then have his arc. Yeah, you could, do, you could do that if you took out the Dark Friend thing. I mean, there's not a real reason to remove well, him. Well, you have to keep the Dark Friend thing. I don't know if you can keep the Dark Friend thing and... Do you think that's continue. not, like, a relevant part of the story, that he's I a dark friend? I think if you're rolling the characters together, you have to take the dark friend part out in order to keep them... Because, like, Uno becomes, like, like a good, like, champion for... He becomes, like, a captain for the yeah. Enemies of the Light. You can't combine them, really. You could just... You could just cut... You could just cut Ingtar. Because his being a dark friend, other than Jordan writing him into the prophecy and other than him being present in Falma, like, he doesn't, he just sacrifices himself at the end so they can get away, but it's not yeah. totally essential. He's just yeah. compelling. Like he, I mean, but it, is, it is, like, the plot device. I mean, you could find a new one, but it's, like, the reason they're on the hunt, right? Is that yeah. he let out Peyton he, Vane. Right. So he is the reason for that, but you could find some other reason. Someone else could do it. Oh, yeah. You're right. Someone you're else right. could just let Pat and Fane out. Yeah, someone else could do it. Could be a child. A random dark friend could do it. But that is like, Ingtar is the reason why they're doing what they're doing. That's why he chases the horn. So, yeah. He's like on a, because it's like a, a complete redemption arc, the whole thing. Um, which is, yeah, which is pretty cool. So my last one is Dylan Teravin. Dylan Teravin. So I'm going to read a little short packet passage about Dylan. The high seat of House Teravin was a proud woman altogether. Grace streaked her golden hair, and fine lines webbed the corners of her eyes. Yet her face was strong, her gaze level and sharp. Her mind was a razor, or maybe a sword. A plain-spoken woman, or so it seemed, who did not hide her opinions. So this is from Elaine's perspective from the prologue of Winter's Heart. It's interesting because it's clear about... Dylan's strength, but it's ambiguous about her intentions, which I think is my favorite thing about the, all these characters we're talking about, is that because they're not POV characters, we, some of them, we, didn't, we never know what they're thinking. Or, Like, for example, if Ingtar were a POV character, it would, it would be far less compelling, like what happens, right? Because we know. And Dylan is compelling because, because she is the third in line for the throne, right? Like, after Elaine, she's the one who could take the throne. And she turns out being the number one ride or die you know what I mean? She's like the one. She's like so fucking awesome. And she's the reason why Elaine gets everything that she has coming for, to her, you know? Yeah. So she, uh, she has both the authority and the support to take the throne from Elaine, um, which, she, which she shuns and, in, in fact, is in Elaine's corner. So she remains true to her, both her bloodline as well as the throne itself, the, the lion throne. Um, and she's a, you know, like I said, she plays a critical part in Elaine claiming that throne. She names herself Regent um, on behalf of Elaine once Rand is kidnapped, and she, as Regent, quells multiple rebellions, and these rebellions are for her. These are people rising up to support um, Dylan becoming um, the Queen of Andor, and she's like, no, I'm not having it. We're saving this for Elaine. And she makes the ultimate sacrifice, and that's the point at which Elaine realizes that Dylan is actually for her, because there's always this kind of not really being sure if she's playing both sides. And um, when Elaine is drugged with fork root tea, fork root tea, Dylan takes takes some steel for her. She takes a stab wound, um, and she's fortunately healed. But 
at that moment we see like, okay, now we know. We pretty know for epic. Sure. Like, yeah. yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. So loyal. Yeah, yeah. She's super loyal. She's really powerful. She's got, she's just a strong woman. And she's always like, she even like, she's the one who reveals inadvertently uh, Rand's history about his mother, who his mother is. So she's a really important character for a lot of, a lot of very kind of fundamental things happening within the books. And I think that that's part of my main thing about the characters that I chose was like their loyalty and integrity. Yeah, you chose very honorable people. Yeah, I think those are the things that really attract me about those characters. And I think actually between like Dylan and Asmodian, their arcs, they both have muddled allegiances in so much as we, we're not really sure what they're thinking until a certain thing happens. That being Asmodian heals Rand or Dylan takes steel for Elaine. And there's these, these moments of truth. Only one of them really gets to kind of see that out. But, um, but I think they're really, they're really interesting moments that give us clear understanding of what these characters' thoughts and intentions are without taking us inside of their head. This is the most Libra list ever. <laughs> just, just like nice. all caps in Colin's notes, loyalty, integrity. <laughs> hey. No betrayal, Jamie. We talked about that. I have to be honest. When you texted us this assignment, I was like, yeah. Colin is a dark friend. How can I narrow to like three to four characters out of like a thousand? A thousand to three thousand characters, yeah. But um, it is it is interesting how, you know, there's all these tertiary or secondary characters are like puzzle pieces that are still mm-hmm. so integral to the outcomes of like major events. Yeah. You know, it's, it can't just be the heroes driving them forward. But you're right in that however they streamline the story, some of these arcs are going to be cut. Yeah. Dylan's could get boiled down to a cold open of uh, an uprising being quelled and then yeah. some tense political scenes, you know. Totally, but, yeah. But hopefully the the heart of it is is kept it's still there yeah okay so go ahead i think jamie you got one more last but not least aludra yes yes <laughs> i had to bring her up yeah. i mean she she's so cool because she's almost like a steampunk character in the yeah, middle dude. of wheel of time <laughs> yes um i'll read her description uh this is from matt's pov when they first meet her in a in a barn She was older than he had thought, at least 10 or 15 years older than he, but pretty still, with large dark eyes and a small full mouth that seemed on the point of a pout, or getting ready for a kiss. (laughs) Of course, Matt. But I realize now that she's probably about like our age. (laughs) That made me feel really old. (laughs) Yeah, definitely our age. But pretty still. It's like, what? Yeah, so we first meet her in Kyrian, and Ran, Ran pretty much gets her in trouble when he, you know, uh, storms the the fire, the Illuminator chapter there. Yeah. Um, later, there's a botched show of fireworks for Galdrian, and consequently, she's kicked out of the Illuminator's Guild, and she was like the mistress of the chapter. So that sucks. So she's on the run because she has secrets. Yeah. That no one's allowed to know outside of the guild. They like murder you for that stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, in retrospect, I was thinking, I was like, I obviously they were wrong to kick her out, it seems, but it was like a political thing. And obviously in Kyrian, there's a lot of bureaucracy, but they were right to hunt her down and try to kill her because the secrets, you know, in the beginning, what we think of as like pretty benign, like, oh, some fireworks. What is it about like trade? You know, mm-hmm. like the fireworks are so cool. Yeah, but... But it becomes a huge deal. Really, you know, her knowledge leads to mechanized weapons. She's like the the Oppenheimer of Randland with her dragon's eggs. Nice comparison. (laughs) The Oppenheimer of Randland. (laughs) But Elaine's really the the only POV we see fully understand... The consequences that these weapons are going to have after the war in the beginning she covets them but she realizes i i won't be able to keep this to myself this is gonna change the world and so elutra is actually very powerful and and that she's an inventor as a character i really like the the energy she has with matt she's kind of coy and and blunt she's ambitious and obsessive about her her craft and inventions and I, I feel like her and Matt could have a snog, like, later. Yes. 
Why did they not bang? I at know. Some point? Well, I think fuck? it's because two ons there when they cross paths again. But and... still, I. Yeah, I mean, with the changing of things, it would be cool if, you know, there's definitely, yeah. like, some just, like... Like, hot sex under fireworks going off? Well, more just, like, they're, they're like, friends. Like, I yeah. think she's like Matt in that she could hook up and be cool about it, which yes, not a lot of women in this world are. I think those two deserve a night together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, mutual masturbation or something. Yes. Like, that's what I... In a bun Yeah. Yeah, but, uh... Those are mine. Probably more of an Aries list to your Libra list. It's kind of, <laughs> good. You know, a well-rounded, punchy it's balanced. group of yeah, characters. Yeah. <laughs> so we've got some honorable mentions. Yes. So my honorable mentions are, I kind of put these two together, but Rurik and Gaul, like those two characters are just like, Rurik, yes. like, oh my God. So good. Both of them. Like, again, like friendship, dedication, loyalty, like they're just, mm-hmm. they just are personified, right? Um, I actually put Melendra in here because I actually really like her. What is your obsession? I don't know. I think she's great. I, I assumed know. you would shack up with Asmodian, but maybe, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no, no, no. Melendra is better. Um, Narishma, Jahar Narishma. I think he's a great character. Yes. Unsung, he's just an unsung badass, you know, and like never tries to overstep, but like is always there, you know, which is great. So the one I was really sad about that was actually on my main list that I had to move to the honorable mention list was Telmanes. Oh, I yeah. love Telmanes. I love Telmanes. Such a great character. Um, a great friend to Matt. Those two also deserve a night together. But I had to move Telmanes to this list because he actually ends up getting some unique POVs in, in A Memory of Light. All of his POVs are in the mm-hmm. last book. And he has actually like eight of them. So yeah. I have to go to this list. He's really cool though. But he's a great character. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, Will Alcine. We want Will Alcine to Fucking Will. <laughs> Will Alcine. Party boy. Yeah. All right. That's my list. That's my okay. honorable mention list. Uh, my honorable mentions are Solusha, who I, mm-hmm. I mentioned briefly. But I love that uh, Tuan and Solusha have their own sign language. And they use it to frequently disparage, compliment, or otherwise reflect on Matrim Cawthon. <laughs> like, mostly that's what they use it for. <laughs> kind of like Maiden Hand Talk. She's also, you know, secretly a ninja, which is pretty cool. And she, I think Colin will appreciate, is fiercely loyal. She could have uh, moved up and been promoted, but she chose to stay with totally. the two on top. Next, I have Kel Vannon. Mm-hmm. Uh, big man on a little horse he's like <laughs> i said he's like the pumbaa to matt's timon like he's just <laughs> i don't know is 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 calvin a big guy i don't know if nice robert... big man on a little horse nice. i don't know if robert jordan ever told us if he was a big guy i'm really not sure <laughs> every scene with calvin <laughs> he was huge he's like an orange on a toothpick like, <laughs> like... <laughs> an orange on a toothpick I love the the small plot line where Fael thinks Calvanon is stealing the Horde of Philir, but he's just <laughs> trying to get Matt's tobacco because she's yeah. told him that it's tobacco in the two rivers. It's so good. So good. <laughs> because Fael. And then, of course, last but not least, Pips. Yes. Uh, I think Pips is very underrated. Uh, I mean, he lives to the end. You know, whereas, mm-hmm. you know, Bella, who is super hyped, she died yeah. <laughs> in the worst way imaginable. Thank you again, Fail. <laughs> it's all Fail's fault. Because oh Fail. <laughs> yeah, she, she's the reason Bella's dead. <laughs> so now Pips, Pips is the best horse living. Pips is best horse. But he, I mean, to survive all books. Good job, Pips. I mean, yeah, Matt, Matt knows how to pick a horse. That's true. You are just so Matt crazy. Me? Yeah, I like a good Matt. <laughs> There's like Matt plotline? I'm about that. Uh, it's it's better than my Jimmy Charlemagne. Uh, <laughs> Charlemagne? <laughs> That's the name of my mechanic. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. Jimmy Charlemagne. <laughs> oh, I love man. it. I love that. It's so good. Okay, I've got one more character. One okay. more character. And this is a character who I actually can't stand. And if they cut him, I'd be like, great. It's Martin Talonvor. I oh. fucking can't stand him. He's <laughs> so fucking annoying. What? He's like one step above Gawain. One step above. I mean, 
I don't, does he really do anything? I feel like he's just pretty simple. They're just like, here's a handsome young guard who loves more gays, loves his queen. He's, yeah, he's just obnoxious. It's like his fervor. Yeah. He has the same fervor as like gay one, I would say. Mm. But like, and he makes these decisions, you know. The only reason I like him is because he provides happiness to more gays. That's the only reason. Yeah, but like if we're talking justice for Morgays, it would be better if she just extricates herself from the situation with like Linny's yeah. help and she doesn't really need a new love interest. You know, yeah. it's kind of forced. No, she and... doesn't need a new I agree. She doesn't. Yeah. I completely agree. So yeah, cut them. <laughs> I have some cuts too. Yeah, what do you got? Fallon Luca. <laughs> <laughs> really? Wow, I feel like that's a really big point of contention. Like, I feel like the in there. Yeah. I feel like the whole like menagerie thing. It's, Both times, it, it's a plot device, yeah. and it's just like very convenient that anytime you I need. I freaking love the circus. <laughs> oh my god! Just anytime. I love the circus. I'm sure it will get cut from the plot, though. I don't know if I can take like multiple menagerie arcs because you know there's the. The right. Lay Nynaeve Tom, Juilin right. one, and Brigitte, right. and then later the Matt Tuon and that whole family thing. And it's just kind of like this device that's woven throughout. And I'm like, you know, if they have to cut something, I feel like... Cut the menagerie? You can Game of Thrones it and somehow they get from point A to point B, <laughs> and I'm okay with that. You're okay with it? Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> also, I would cut Chafail. <laughs> Oh man! Oh, we have I have thoughts about Chafiel. We got to do an episode. Okay, okay. Including that for sure. An episode just on no, include including it, including it. Okay. And then these people, I don't think should be cut. I just think they're annoying. Anora, she is Berlaine's secret Aes Sedai oh, advisor. Right, 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 right. Okay, yeah. She's probably important, but she's kind of annoying. And I, I could talk a long time about the problems with Oliver. Right. I think right. he's uh, got to be in there. Yeah, that's true. He's got issues. The kid needs therapy. Let's be yeah. honest. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, a lot of characters in the world have need therapy. Well, but... Yeah, but he's a child. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, I think that's funny. I thought about Ulver too, and I feel like he has to be in there. But yeah. Oh, yeah, he does. He could he does. be altered. I'm curious. That's going to be an interesting casting. They're like, are they going to literally look for an ugly child? And like, the kid's going to so. read the book and be like, that's like, what I look like? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, my God. I hope they find an ugly child. That was fun, though. I mean, it just shows that there are so many rich characters. Yeah. You know, the fact that we can even remember these, you know, uh, 11 or whatever, but... There were so many more I had to cut from my list. I mean, I started yeah, totally. with like a list of 20. And I was hoping you guys out. would pick the same as me so I could do some <laughs> other ones. <laughs> All right. So moving on to the new segment, Twitter Time Highlights. So this is just uh, a quick one I thought was pretty funny. So this one is coming from, um, shout out here, Matt's Horse Pips. Uh, it's at Matt's Pips uh, at Twitter. And the tweet is, what is up with Murdral horses? Can that bloody happen to any old suspecting horse? Or do you have to be some shady goat kissing dark friend horse? Or are they just in it for the dope silent feetsies? <laughs> Pips thoughts. Hashtag Pips thoughts. <laughs> I it is a good question. I yeah. I feel like I don't think there's a lot of information about this. Maybe I think they're a special breed. You think they're yeah. a special breed? Yeah, like how Clydehurst only pull wagons. <laughs> oh wow! So you think they like breed them in like Thakandar or something? Yes. Or you don't think they turn horses? No. Interesting. Okay. I feel like it would be too much work to turn horses unless there's mm -hmm. like a different process, but right. You don't hear, you don't see their hoof prints, right? Because is that what you call them hooves? The hooves, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, because that's the first chapter of Eye of the World, an empty road. They Tam is like going to go back, but there's there's no footprints or anything. It'll be like the invisible Harry Potter horse. <laughs> the <laughs> Destrals, they're sweeties. They don't look sweet. Madral horses are sweeties. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Again, what do madral horses eat? I assume they eat human flesh. Boar. They eat wild boar. 
Oh man, they probably eat anything. If they probably eat the same thing as Trollocs, which is anything. Yeah, and then they don't poop. Yeah, then they maybe don't they poop. only eat like dead weeds like or something. <laughs> Yeah, they could, be, they could be carrion feeders. I don't know. Yeah, but I mean, it does beg the question because people lose horses. So, like, mm-hmm. can they turn a horse? Because you know, what if they just need to replace them? Replace it. it seems yeah. like there would be a, pra- a more practical solution. Yeah. What if it's like a Cinderella thing where they take a mouse? <laughs> like they have to take like a you know, and then they're like, boppity boo. Putting together and what if you got bibbity bobbity boo? They have to take like a dark animal to make it into like it has to be like a raven or a rat or a rat, yeah, it's gotta be a rat. And then they bibbity bobbity boo it. I bet all the rats really like want to be murdered. They're like, turn me, <laughs> turn me, ride me. <laughs> that is hilarious. The spinoffs just like Mr. Ed, but with a murder all horse, dark friend horse, <laughs> oh my dope God. silent feedies. Those are good one. <laughs> Pips thoughts. See, Pips is the best. Yeah, Pips is good. <laughs> Pips is good. Well, I think that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. That would be great. It helps us grow our uh, listenership. And it lets us know that you appreciate what we're doing, which is always nice. If you'd like to hear us discuss any topics or things in particular, please feel free to DM us. You can DM us on Twitter or Instagram. The handle is at RanlandTVPod on both. And that concludes this episode of Ranland Wheel of Time TV Podcast. Please remain where you are, and the Ashman will see you back to your home. <laughs> Don't touch me. Where's your hand going?